bitch. <laughs> I ain't never gonna stop loving you, bitch. <laughs> I just watched that the other day, actually. <laughs> Well, hello and welcome to Bromancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy, Max Lyon. What up? Watch Rob Gumps and then report our findings onto the internet for the tens and tens of listeners listening pleasure. And Max, <laughs> how are you doing tonight? Well, good, buddy. I am officially an Illinois resident. Hey! Uh, I went and stood in line for three hours today to get my license. Yeah. Wow. Well, I got—I should say—get my license. Finally, switched over to Illinois. It's been Oregon for eight years now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because because our damn licenses didn't expire for like I think Forever it was in a day. I think it was eight years. I think I got yeah. it right before I moved out here. Yeah. I, I think that's like it's got to be one of the longest spans of states. Like I don't mm-hmm. think most states offer that long, do they? No, no, I, I have no idea. But I mean, I have no, I have no idea. So like, I finally bit the bullet and went and got my ugly mm-hmm. mug pasted onto a piece of Illinois history. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? How you been? I've been pretty good. Just been uh, watching all the sports I can. Uh, the uh, Reese Witherspoon expert and I have a or uh, like to watch sports, and you know, and I happen to live in a state where sports gambling is legal, so I place wagers for myself and myself alone, and. <laughs> You know, but I, I happened to maybe talk to said Reese Witherspoon expert just about the games in general. Nothing, you know, <laughs> nothing, you know, nothing too nefarious. You know what I mean? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, and yeah, you know, I may wager on these games every now and again. Yeah, yeah. Gambling is legal. No big deal. No big deal. No big deal at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, no. The account may have tripled up, but you know. You know, it's nothing here or there. You know what I mean? And you're betting on uh, postseason baseball? And losing on postseason baseball. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I'd imagine betting on baseball is probably not the most profitable way to bet. No. Uh, I'm much better at football. Yeah. Uh, football betting is where, where it's at, you know. But you're betting on, but you're betting on postseason baseball, so there's some magic to it. Eh. The magic seems to be whatever I bet it loses. So <laughs> screw postseason baseball. <laughs> well, postseason, postseason baseball is way too unpredictable. So that's I'm not I'm not at all surprised that that's it's throwing you that many curveballs. Yeah, shall we put it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'd rather you know bet a sport like you know professional football where a game can end up in a tie like it did last week, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I'm kind of. Did you see that? Did you see that tie that happened? I didn't. I did not. Yeah, it was between uh, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Philadelphia Eagles. Speaking of Philadelphia, we watched the Philadelphia story. Jesus. For that podcast this week, it was my choice. <laughs> and I decided to go back to the old school well once again. We, you know, we've seen some bringing up previously, and uh, we saw it happen one night. And now we're going to watch, and now we've watched the Philadelphia story. So, uh, Max, this was your first time watching it, correct? It was. And had you heard of it or seen it previously? Um, honestly, or not seen I, obviously. No, I don't think I'd even heard of it. I, I mean, I know you've mentioned it several times because I know you've said it's it's one of your favorites. But I think mm-hmm. before you mentioning it on this podcast, I don't think I'd ever heard of it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm not the most. I'm also not the most well-versed on older movies so um i mean my my whole interest in starting this podcast with you was because of you know as we've covered the no strings attached type rom-com so yeah and also you know you're you're into the discovery aspect of this this yeah absolutely i mean what my knowledge of rom-coms coming into this podcast was all you know early 2000s and late 90s so I know that's what I love already, and I know there's a lot more out there, so I'm totally open to discovering movies exactly like this one. So this was, this was a great kind of like another good call on your part to like eye-opening little adventure for me to sit down and kind of like delve into exactly. a piece of history and kind of see where things come from. When yeah, it comes to exactly. Rom coms and like, and also in failure to launch, as we mentioned uh, last. As I mentioned last week when introducing my choice, um, yeah, in Failure Launch, they mentioned the Philadelphia story when they mentioned that when uh, Sarah Jessica Parker says that the sailboat is Yar to the other guy. Oh, that's right. That's where it's from. And they even meant, they even shouted out in Failure to Launch, but now you know exactly where it comes from. Oh, well, thank you yeah. for making that connection. Yes, indeed. Uh, my story with the Philadelphia story is uh, is one of I knew of it way before I'd actually watched it. Um, so I remember this movie since I was young, young, I like like three, four years old. Like one of my first memories is not necessarily of the movie itself, but a videotape with the label on it and the label on the little on the on the small edge said the philadelphia story that's what and that's so, literally so one of your first memories on earth is of the philadelphia story and like of just the video cassette on Jesus. like just on a, a bookshelf because yeah. like i i feel like most people have like their first memory is like when they're three or four years old like if you think back one of the first yeah. things you could ever possibly remember is usually going to be in that time frame yeah. And you're and telling me just, is one of them is just an image of seeing yeah, this. Yeah, it's just a mental image of seeing this Jesus. on video cassette, just on a shelf. Um, and that's how much my mom loved this movie, is that she damn recorded it onto a video cassette mm. when it was rerun on one of the local TV stations, like on a random Saturday or Sunday. 
and then she <laughs> she had it so like so she could fast forward through the commercials on her recorded copy and whenever she wanted to watch that movie she loved this movie and my sister monica loved this movie after watching it with my mom so this is one of my sister monica's favorite movies of all time hmm. and one of my mom's favorite movies of all time <clears throat> and as we discussed <clears throat> those two are very heavily have very heavily influenced my rom-com sensibilities so uh randomly i was at a walmart it was like i don't know if i was still in college or if i was like just out of college i remember being on a walmart and seeing like one of those like the dvd bins DVDs where it's just where but it was like four movies on one disc one of those oh totally totally yeah one side two movies on the other and like you just flip the disc or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. and so yeah and i, I and have, it was like i have the rush and, hour trilogy on one of those yeah exactly so <laughs> Uh, and so, uh, yeah, this movie, uh, I, I ended up buying it on like a $5, like Ford movie, uh, disc. And that was like the first time I actually sat down and watched it when I was like in my like early to mid twenties. And I just remembered like, Oh, this is why they had it recorded on a video cassette. Cause it's damn good. And it's just like, mm. it's just a high quality film and you can, you can just, you can feel the stage play off of this film and it's just, there's well, a that's... lot of fun with it, but uh, there's, there's also going to be a lot to discuss with this film as well. Um, you know, politics wise. So, well, that's interesting uh, that you were able to, to actually appreciate a lot of that stuff, even at a, a younger age. I mean, I know that like, cause I was sitting there looking at this going, Oh, this is actually a pretty, like pretty mature movie. Like there's a lot here to unpackage. Like, well, yeah, I mean, the first time I watched it was, I was in my twenties. So like, you know, I, but still, always, I mean, you know, you're, you said early twenties, right? Yeah. Like 23, 24, probably. Okay. All right. I guess that's, that's a little more understandable. I'm th- I guess I was thinking like college. Well, I mean, I watched, but... I first watched Casablanca when I was a freshman in college. So that still, was- I mean, yeah, you see exactly like that's, I think I, I I would say that's still pretty early. Like, I think that's impressive. That's cool. Well, you know, sensibilities are what they are, you know, <laughs> but uh, let's get into the stats and talk about this movie here. So uh, the Philadelphia story is a 1940 American romantic comedy film directed by George Cooker. Uh, and starring Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, and James Stewart, and featuring Ruth Hussey. It is based on the 1939 Broadway play of the same name by Philip Barry. Uh, the film is about a socialite whose wedding plans are complicated by the simultaneous arrival of her ex-husband and a tabloid magazine journalist. The socialite character of the play, performed by Hepburn in the film, was inspired by Helen Hope Montgomery Scott, a Philadelphia socialite, Known for her hijinks, who married a friend of the playwright Barry. Wait, that's a real person, Montgomery Scott, like Star Trek. Like, that's her last name. I wonder if that's where they got the name from. Helen Hope Montgomery Scott. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Continue. I don't know. I don't speak nerd. You know uh, what? <laughs> you're missing out 
<laughs> beautiful language. <laughs> and some so, would call it the language of love. Some, <laughs> some, only some. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who. No, I don't either. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, this film was uh, released on December 26th, 1940. Uh, how long is the film? Um, two hours and three seconds. <laughs> it is 112 minutes, so an hour and 52 minutes. Uh, Damn it, really? It's under two yeah, hours. And- the budget for the film is uh, nine hundred fourteen thousand dollars in nineteen forty. Well, and, yeah. So, uh, Wait, how 19... much did it make in the box office? And how... this is not like rounding up for inflation or anything like that. How much did it spend? Budget was nine hundred fourteen thousand. Jesus. God. The, okay. Hang on, I gotta shift around the numbers here for back then. <laughs> yeah, nine hundred fourteen thousand. So we're looking at, uh, fuck, I don't know, thirty million. <laughs> no, three point three million. Jesus. Yeah, I mean that's three times his budget. Oh yeah, yeah, my math was way off. Holy hell. <laughs> Oh my God, quarantine, what have you done to me? Oh, wow. (laughs) Jesus. All right, I'm going to start doing multiplication tables tomorrow morning. (laughs) So this was written for the screen by uh, um, Donald Ogden Stewart and and an uncredited Waldo Salt, whatever. Um, It is considered one of the best examples of a comedy of remarriage which is a genre popular in the 1930s and 1940s in which a couple divorce, flirt with outsiders, and then remarry, which was a useful storytelling device at a time when the depiction of extramarital affairs was blocked by the production code. Hmm. So we talked about that with It Happened One Night. That was one of the last films to be put out before the production code. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the first films like to be kind of... Well, uh, it was in a time where, you know, you couldn't show affairs because right. of that production. Hmm. So. Interesting. You know, so they have- skirt around it by essentially creating the dynamic of an open relation or an open marriage. Yeah. By having, you know, a divorce and then a, and right. then a reconciliation. And then also it had to be a divorce. It couldn't be a separation. Right, right. They had to be... We were on a break! (laughs) Um, The film was Hepburn's first big hit following several flops, which had placed her on a 1938 list of actors considered to be box office poison, which was compiled by Manhattan movie theater owner Harry Brandt. Damn. That's how much power theaters used to have. Holy shit! Because they only used to show one film at their theater and if you're and so 
this Manhattan theater owner who felt so big in his britches that he was just like, here's a list of everyone who's fucking poison and will, and people will not come to my theater to see them. I do not want films with these people starring in them. And if you want your film showing here and to make money off of Manhattan, then you're going to make sure these people aren't in it. Jesus. So, and so there was, on that list. there was, Hollywood drama and toxicity before there was even Hollywood. Hollywood existed at this time. I mean, yeah, yeah but it, not it, like, you know what I mean? Not like the, the, <laughs> the big production version of Hollywood that it got turned into, you know, and the, the complications no, that it, went with it. I mean, no, that, that wasn't that, really around yet. Was it? It, it, I mean, like Charlie Chaplin was like in the early 1900s and stuff. So like big studios were pretty much like they, I mean, it happened one night was almost a decade ago from this movie or not a decade, like six years before this. And that was a part of the big studio. Thing. I guess I so just like, didn't, I, I never really thought of movies being that like, like I knew they were mainstream already, but I didn't know they were that mainstream that they had like they it was such a huge industry that it had weight and opinion and all this underlying drama to it already, like all these subplots to it, you know? It's just well, yeah, it's, I mean it's fucking crazy that it took off like that. Well, this also like we're also talking about times where there's very little to like almost no regulation. So of course it's going to be that. <laughs> like it's true. So there was a lot of growth. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. Jesus. Well, um, so Hepburn, because of, you know, everything that was going on with that box office poison thing, went to do a Broadway play and that Broadway play, was a huge success. That Broadway play was the Philadelphia story. Oh. And then Hepburn acquired the film rights to the play with the help of Howard Hughes. In oh, order to shit. Control- yeah, which was which was uh, her boyfriend at the time, I believe. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. And uh, Howard Hughes, the 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 Spruce Goose guy. Yep. Which lives in Oregon now. The Spruce Goose, yes, in McMinnville. Yeah. Well, funny thing, Catherine Hepburn had a lavish Beverly Hills mansion, which literally had like its own theatrical screen where you could actually have premieres at. Like that's how big of a screen it is. Jesus. And like a pool and tennis courts and all this other sort of stuff. Um, it was a mansion that was, you know, that uh, actually Howard Hughes owned uh, and she lived at because, you know, she was she rent her lease from him as it as at the same time of being his you know, <laughs> girlfriend. Uh, and and the thing and the reason I mentioned this is because LeBron James actually a couple, I think yesterday or two days ago, just bought that mansion for almost 40 million dollars. So. Oh, damn. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, it was funny oh. that that happened to be in the news. That's right? crazy. Um, 
and all that sort of stuff. But Excellent timing. You fucking yes, planned but, this well. I guess so. <laughs> Put it into existence. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Hepburn and Howard Hughes acquired the rights uh, in order to control it as a vehicle for her screen comeback. And then uh, according to Turner Broadcasting Documentary MGM, When the Lion Roars, after Metro Goldwyn Mayer, which is MGM, uh, purchased film rights, they were skeptical about Hepburn's box office appeal. So MGM studio head Louis B. Mayer uh, took an unusual precaution by engaging two A-list male stars to support Hepburn, and that's why they got both Cary Grant and James Stewart. Interesting, because I I was wondering if that was a common thing because i don't remember too many other older movies having two a-list stars like yeah that. like well and that's ex- like that explains katherine hepburn too because going into it i'm thinking it's got three a-list stars yeah and so that explains okay so hepburn wasn't really making it yet so she was undervalued. So that's how she got in. In fact, she was so undervalued that they bring in two A-list stars to help compensate. That's fucked up. That's not true, actually. Um, Hepburn had huge hits earlier in the decade. Then she had flops. So she was a part of hits. Oh. And, then, and then she had some flops to the point. And she was known for being kind of like... So... This character is very similar to her where people called her difficult to work with, but she kind of was just like, I know what the fuck I'm worth sort of thing. And no one really wanted to take that from a woman, especially in the 1940s slash 30s. Um, So she kind of was labeled as a bitch. (laughs) And like, Mm. because of that, you know, whenever things went wrong, she was the one who kind of got the blame. Like, so... It was just the that theater guy was more of just like a guy who was just like, like none of her movies do well. No one likes her. Why the fuck are you sending these movies to me? <laughs> gotcha. Well, it's still like, but they they still had to bring on these two A listers to compensate, right? Well, like, they did that because of the flops, and also because right. she was making kind of her film comeback. They're just like, ah, uh, yeah, let's, that's let's put two two guys on this one. Um, I wonder and if it so, had, I wonder if just a quick random thought, if it had anything to do with the fact that they were guys and she was not. Like what? Being back then. Like, I wonder if it was like they had less faith in her because she was a woman. Oh yeah. Thing. Oh yeah. Of course. It was all about the leading guy. It was all yeah. about the leading male. Yeah. We're, we just now are like we just recently saw me too happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know why I'm questioning it then. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really look at it, Max. Um, so, uh, this film, uh, was selected for preservation in the United States national film registry in 1995. Hmm. And this is the last stat I'll go over. Um, and I want to kind of segue this into talking about uh, the movie uh, and, and the film. So the film was nominated for six Academy Awards. Hmm. And the film won two. Hmm. 
Uh, Donald Ogden Stewart went for best adapted screenplay. Okay. And the first person we're going to talk about, even though he's not necessarily the main star, he is a star of the film. James Stewart won the Academy Award for Best Actor. For you goddamn movie. right he did. Holy fuck. <laughs> I was waiting to hear that. He so fucking we'll earned there. it. Yeah. So what did you think of James Stewart's performance of the Philadelphia story? James Stewart, James motherfucking Stewart is mind-blowing. Holy shit, he was so good. I was I was fucking laughing. His bit of being drunk <laughs> absolutely spot on. Like did you read my it. live tweets? Did you read my live tweets? Oh, I didn't this time. I totally forgot. You go back and read my live tweets. Uh, it, it's it's very it's very gif heavy. Um, <laughs> oh, there and, was a. I did make a note that I wanted a gif of of a scene. I I can't remember what it was. You're but. gonna see. You're gonna see almost all the gifs that are available in Twitter for this <laughs> <laughs> on on the thread. <laughs> um, but yeah, did you? Uh, did you have any other thoughts on James Stewart? I mean, I think. I mean, I will as we go into it more. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think I'm so glad to hear that he won it because I think he just he owned it. Like he mm-hmm. was. It's same old Jimmy Stewart. Like it's the Jimmy Stewart that I remember from Vertigo and It's a Wonderful Life. And mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 Jimmy Stewart. Like it's. He's got mm-hmm. the same old, you know, the same drawl in his voice and knocks uh, out one side of his face. Um, Does the weird fucking thing with his jaw all the time, but uh, yeah. oh my God. But the way he fucking adapts to that role throughout the whole thing and does all this wide variety of different comical and lovable scenes. It's perfect. It's he did so fucking well. So (laughs) there's a lot of thoughts here. Let's start with this. Um, First shout out to the podcast. Conan O'Brien is looking for a friend or needs a friend. I forget what exactly it's called, but the Conan O'Brien podcast. Um, That's actually what it's called. Uh, it's called Conan O'Brien. I think it's called Conan O'Brien is looking for a friend. I didn't know it was actually friend. called that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a fun podcast. I um, thought it was just called the the Conan, Conan podcast or something. No. Um. <laughs> anyway, um, so he and Dana Carvey, whenever they get around each other, they just continually just end up in bits, and so they were like. <laughs> there's this one set of like when they were taking a hiatus, like they do seasons with that podcast and in between seasons, they had like four episodes where it was just an extended conversation of Conan O'Brien and Dana Carvey, just like chatting. And then whenever they'd like say something funny, cause that's just how they are as comedians, mm-hmm. they just chat and they say something funny. And then whenever they come up with like a, what if such and such, such and such, so-and-so, you know what I mean? Like that kind right. of, 
prompt and then they actually would act them out like that's just how their minds work <laughs> and then but so there's this one bit that data carver did once that conor brian loved and always asked him to do and he asked him to do it for the podcast and it was dana carvey doing an impression of jimmy stewart receiving fellatio <laughs> but like not like but like right or no it was right before receiving fellatio and so he where he's just like oh you're not not so fast <laughs> and he always would say the line just look at it for a second <laughs> Brian is like Ooh. laughing to the point where he can't breathe. Like you just hear him laughing, and then like silence, and then more laughing. And like it's just if any if y'all can just go find that episode of Coda Brian and Dana Carvey and find the part where he does the the Jimmy Stewart impression, I strongly urge you to do so. It's gonna make you laugh till you cry. Foremost. That sounds fucking amazing. <laughs> um, just, look at just, just, just look at it for a second. <laughs> now, now, you know, you don't need to go too fast. You just, <laughs> just look at it for a second. Um, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that, now that makes me think of wasn't it New Girl that they had that like one of her boyfriends that she's dating. Does an impression of Jimmy Stewart all the time, doesn't he? Uh, maybe I don't know. Probably Justin Long in the first season. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what it was. Yeah, I could see that. He he kind of has that demeanor. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know if I mentioned like. My favorite my favorite rom com performance, but like I know I gave extremely high marks to uh, Rupert Everett for his performance of George, I believe is the character name. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's an iconic performance that just just. It extends into just my favorite, some of my fa- like one of my favorite performances just in film. <laughs> like, is is that? And I just I feel like that's the best performance we've seen out of all the movies so far, until this one. This is the best performance of any actor that we've seen so far on this podcast, and I don't know if it will be top. Like, that's how good Jimmy Stewart is in this film. He is so good in just his, like, because it's not only the delivery, because he just, he delivers it in the same Jimmy Stewart delivery that he always does, but. Oh, of course. At, but at the same time, it he he fits his, he fits himself into the character that he's performing. There's. You can see everything that that character is feeling, you know, the defensiveness because he's not doing exactly what he loves and he's already, you know, a quote unquote failed writer, um, you know, because he wrote a book and it didn't do well. Um, you know, there's right. just there's so much going on within this character and like everything he's doing 
and he and Jimmy Stewart plays all of it. And he's also comedically hilarious. <laughs> like just he's, delivering oh lines God. that are making you laugh out loud, playing a drunk guy <sighs> extremely well. Yeah. And like so well. And even and it's <laughs> even obvious that he and Cary Grant are just like improving with each other because they're cracking each other up on screen, which was the one thing my mom loved. She thought that Jimmy Stewart was played the best drunk, and she said that was and him drunk was one of the funniest things she ever seen on screen. Like, oh yeah, I, I can believe it. Whatever, yeah, whatever my mom talked about, like her favorite or the things that made her laugh on screen. The first thing she would always bring up is Jimmy Stewart in the Philadelphia Story, and she would always talk about. And then that there's a scene where he hiccups and Cary Grant yes. says, excuse me. And then, and then they both chuckle and she's like, and you can see that he's like, Jimmy Stewart's breaking Cary Grant. Oh my God. Cary Grant's breaking Jimmy Stewart. And they're just like constantly breaking each other. She's like, and it's the funniest thing. My mom loved that scene. Uh, and it's, that, it's yeah. top notch. That scene, like, I remember exactly. They're both sitting down, and they're they're in the background a little bit of of um, what's Catherine Hepburn's character's name? Uh, Tracy Lord. Tracy, yeah. Yes. So, like, they're not even like front and center of the scene either. Like, there's more going on in that scene, and like they're having a conversation, so we're listening, but it's still not like just them so it's it it was so perfect wait what, what scene are you talking about uh it's i think we're talking about different scenes then oh are we then he hiccups just, multiple times <laughs> well no it was just them in in c dexter haven's house because remember he shows up to c dexter haven's house and then that's when he does the hiccup thing oh i'm remembering a scene let's see when was it um, I don't remember now. I remember it was all three of them in a in a room together, and they were sitting down. But I don't remember what it was. I mean, he was a he was drunk a lot in this movie. He was drunk yeah. a lot. He was, just, he was just drunk during that one scene. Like, well, that one area of like time after the party. Which went on for a while, yes. Very true, yes. Anyway, so Jimmy Stewart, best performance we've seen on this podcast, and I don't know if it will be surpassed. Just absolutely phenomenal. We'll talk more about some of the funny parts in the film. Um, But let's counteract that with the other leading male, Cary Grant. What did you think of Cary Grant's performance in this film? Um, I've never disliked Cary Grant from what little I've seen of him, but seen mm-hmm. enough to know that I, I'm, I don't mind him. And I, I didn't mind him in this. I think he did a fine job and you know, nothing is going to stand up to Jimmy Stewart. So, um, he kind of gets overshadowed as he should, but I liked him for what he played. I, that overshadowed part is the big thing. Yeah. He's the first build name. He is the A side. He is the big, big name. And he gets absolutely outshined and out hustled and outplayed 
by Jimmy Stewart in this film. But he at the really same does. time, at the same time, I'm not sure that it's necessarily like that that necessarily he gets the movie stolen from him or as much as he kind of sees what the character is and kind of takes the backseat willingly. Yeah, because I never really picked up on any vibe that I felt bad for him or anything as if, you know, James Stewart was stepping on his role kind of thing. It yeah, seemed I like agree. a mutual. And it seemed like they loved playing with each other. Yeah, like, play, like acting with each other. There, um, the, and yeah, I mean, I mean, part of the his role is just that he's almost like an om, like an omniscient character where he just kind of knows everything. Like he already knows how this is going to play, and he's so confident and sure that things are going to play out the way he thinks that he just kind of sits back and lets everything happen because right. he already is like two steps ahead of everyone, which is, you know, I mean, it's just that character is necessary. I feel like that character helps that character yeah. helps hide the movie steers the ship, but that character is not necessarily the, like not necessarily dynamic to where as an audience member you like truly root or care for that character as much as Macaulay, James Stewart. And I can, I can hear your chair squeaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and I feel like if there's one flaw to like the writing of the play besides the the time and the era, which we'll get to. If there's one flaw, it's got to be that the main character and the guy who gets the girl at the end that you're supposed to kind of root for to get that girl. At the end of it, you're just like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. You're not like, oh, thank God. It's the, he got it. He got her. He got her back. And everyone's okay. But more of just like, all right, yeah. And and like we've both said now, it's it's that's a symptom of the character, not of Cary Grant himself and his acting. It's, exactly, it's, Cary Grant played it well. He he was like he, a point guard, just distributing assists the whole entire yep. entire game. Exactly, yeah, you know. And so yeah, <laughs> but I mean, there's a couple good gifts of him as well in the in the thread. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we'll go we'll go on to the females of the. Thing. You know, everything that's centered around in this film is Catherine Hepburn. Uh, what did you think of Catherine Hepburn in this film? I don't know that I've really ever seen that much of her. I, I mean, I know, you know, of course, her iconic role is the Queen of Africa, but. Mm -hmm. um, the African Queen. Well, yeah, but yeah. Um, uh, I don't. I don't know that I, yeah, I don't, I, I honestly can't even think of a, a movie that she's been in. Um, yeah. So to see her like finally really in a, a full, complete developed role, it was kind of eye opening. I, I didn't really know much about her going into it, but I came out of it understanding a little bit about the respect she's garnered. I mean, 
I walked away thinking it was a pretty good performance. She seems like a hell of an actress, actually. Like she, she seemed like she really got into the role, and it makes sense now that you say that she got the rights for it and everything. So it makes me think that she was already a little more invested in it emotionally and, and probably, you know, acted her fucking ass off in it and it shows. Um, but I, you know, I don't know much about her besides this to really put it in a context of like, you know, a full, fully developed opinion beyond this movie. Yeah. The, well, she won an Academy Award off after her third film, which was Morning Glory in 1933. So, okay. you know, the whole box office poison thing is like she'd won an Academy Award literally five years before, and now she's box office poison, according to this one guy in Manhattan. Hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so that was kind of why it was so, you know, like it was such a big thing that this was like her comeback film. It was like, Oh, here's this woman who we thought was going to just kind of like be the Meryl Streep at a time when Meryl Streep was not even an idea in anyone's mind at the time, (laughs) you know, and then she went off and made a bunch of shitty films and it's kind of like an actress who at a young age wins best actress and then makes a bunch of rom-coms that aren't necessarily the best. Right. And then comes back with like, another Academy Award nomination. Like yeah, it's a comeback to her. <laughs> and it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's actually really good. So um oh, my bad. Yeah. And um, I and I thought she was in this. Would you agree? Yeah, and she she's fantastic. Um also uh <laughs> uh just the FYI uh the Queen of Africa. Yeah. The movie's called The African Queen because that's the name of the boat that they're on. She's not the actual queen of Africa in the film. Uh, so. She's not? God damn it. Well, see, I don't know anything about her. There you go. <laughs> so I was like, when he said the queen of Africa, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> the whole movie's about a boat? That's dumb. <laughs> there's there's other stuff that happened but anyway nonetheless yeah so along those lines I, I just love that this was you know her comeback film and i love that she got her rich ass boyfriend to buy the rights with her to put it on film and and, and they basically were just like no nah, no nah, everyone thinks that i'm i'm done fuck all y'all i will show you <laughs> like Oh, yeah. Like, well, and I'm going to go to Broadway and get on this, like this really good play. And then this play destroys. And uh, in the preview, it talks about how pe- they're paying $4 and 40 cents a seat, which in 1939, $4 and 40 cents a seat is probably like easily hundreds yeah. of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, that's how much of a, you know, huge thing it was. And it was just like, okay, yeah, well, I can do this here, so fuck y'all. I'm gonna do this on on the screen again. Y'all ain't gonna stop me. And she went and she did it. She knew her worth. Damn. She knew and she knew what she had. She was confident in herself. And I feel like that was perfect for the role of Tracy Lord because Tracy Lord is along the same lines, very oh, self totally, totally. 
and it's and, a and the whole movie is about a, a journey of self-discovery as well and we'll get more into that here in a second i want to talk about one last performance that of ruth hussey who plays elizabeth embry i loved her performance in this film uh you know Who's she elizabeth is the supporting Embry? actress but she is pretty damn good so who's elizabeth that's the photographer with oh the right right yeah yeah i the liked her who, the one who was married previously and the one who uh you know is in love with macaulay but also kind of letting him yeah they they wrote her well she had a she had a few really good like quips in the background like she would always mm-hmm. mumble like sarcastic comments and yeah like her she she hit punchline so well in this yeah like, and it was just a very like for all the confidence and all the strength that she exuded as like you know the photographer who just like like she knew the score she was the smart one mm-hmm. she was mm-hmm. you know like just like c dexter haven she's like a step ahead of everyone but at the same time there's a vulnerability that she loves this man, but she isn't strong enough to tell this man be with me. Like just, you know, she, she keeps just letting him like, sow his oath until he realizes sort of thing. So just like for all the strength that she exudes, there's this one weakness and it's, are we sure that that's a weakness though? Well, not weakness, maybe vulnerability. Well, it's a vulnerability because it's her because it's her heart. Like she's, you know, like there's, you know, there's discussions about, you know, Macaulay and Tracy and in, in the film. And when she sees Macaulay, you know, propose to Tracy at the end of the film, you know, the, there's a slight sting of hurt. Of course, Tracy's smart enough to know, you know, no, <laughs> like obviously no, but like this is, this, we're not getting married, but at the same time, there's still that moment of, you know, of pain that she has to deal with because that's a vulnerability in her life that she loves True. this man and he has he isn't quite reciprocating the feelings yet. But she also does say that, you know, there's some strategy to her to her waiting. It's not that she's scared; it's that he needs to grow up. He's not yeah, ready. But at the same time, is that just an excuse? How long has she been waiting? Well, see, that's where some more character background would help. Exactly. I mean, well, it's hard to it's hard to do that in a let's, matter of let's two, do a, in a matter let's do a sequel. Let's do a sequel. And, <laughs> and by sequel, so. I mean our low budget version, which is After Ever After. So um, it's called the Philomet story. God damn it! What up? What up? So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's it'll, talk. Let's it'll it. make about the same in box office too. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the film a little bit. Uh, now that we've talked about the performances. Um, oh, there just... is, there is one last role that I want to okay. bring up the role okay. of, I don't even know her fucking name. Dinah, the girl. Dinah, yeah. Oh yep. my God. She was amazing. <laughs> she, 
Yeah, she did a really good job in that performance. I don't know what that actress's name is. Um, I, yeah, I don't either. I I, I don't know yeah, if she even became like, an actress after that or anything. But well, she was just Dinah played that. It's just she's just a fun character because it was just yeah. like she yeah. just wanted. It, it was just like typical, you know, young kid who just wants chaos just like i'm just especially a young kid alone yeah. in the world of adults yeah so she's it... so she's just she's just gathering this intel and then she's going around spinning her web seeing like you said the chaos like seeing what threads she can tug at just enough to fuck everyone's plans up uh yeah her name was uh, virginia weedler or weidler yeah okay um, doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. Um, but that also certainly doesn't mean anything. <clears throat> yeah, she was, yeah, it, she was, she was fantastic. I thought she brought a lot of extra life to it. A lot of like a, a whole nother layer to it. You know, it, it was, I mean, we've talked about this before. We like movies that have, you know, multiple subplots to them or at least you know other things going on besides just the the primary love plot line Mm -hmm. it makes the other you know supporting characters feel more real and the whole dynamic feel more real and i think i think i was pleasantly surprised to see a lot of the same stuff that we talk about in the more modern rom-coms that we've covered especially recently all be present in a movie from such a long time ago in contrast. I think that's what I walked away so pleasantly surprised by. And that was one of them. Like the, all the different supporting characters and how they all played a role. You had all these these all these background things going on during the actual, you know, well, I was going to say relationship plot line, but fucking, I don't even know if there was one. It was... It was complex, man. There were so many levels to it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, nonetheless, uh, I did like Dinah's performance as well, but uh, wanted to get into the politics of the film. <laughs> like, well, not necessarily politics, but just like the different societal norms <laughs> of the time of this film compared to now. Um, what well, you? I'm, I'm sorry, the opening scene was an issue for you? or Let's start with the opening scene. <laughs> a minute into the film, we have a domestic disturbance. <laughs> Thoughts? I, I, like, I'm sitting down, the credits are rolling, I'm getting in the mood. All right, I see a, a very typical, like, 40s-style husband storm out of the, you know, through the porch, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm in the mood. I'm thinking, okay, it's a comical moment here. All right. We're, we're making fun of the comical couple. Yeah. And they, you know, they have a little, a, a little bickering. They start going back towards the house. And then he, instead, it's, he, he taps her on the shoulder to get her attention. She spins around and instead he raises his hand and instead of hitting her, he just grabs her face and shoves her to the floor? Yeah. He grabs her face. He grabs her face 
and stuff. So how is that better? First of all, second of all, I literally like, I'm just sitting there quiet for the first, you know, minute and a half of this movie. And then immediately first words out of my mouth while watching this movie are Jesus Christ. What the fuck? Cause like, it's not something, especially in the mood that was being set in that scene. That's not something I was prepared to see. Mm-hmm. And I know for back then, like, again, we've covered this before. Back then, it's different different things and shit. But holy hell, like, it's uncomfortable so, to see now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... If outside of the context of a co- of a comedic film play- and this scene being played for comedy, it's an uncomfortable situation. Within the context of the film, though, it's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, it's and, and, and like yeah. And the reason why is one like first off, golf clubs used to actually like woods used to actually be made out of wood, which is always you know a revelation to me. And so, like, where she cracks the the golf club, I'm like, damn, she cracked metal. Oh, no, no, that's actually wood. Like, <laughs> wood at that time. Um, and then, but, like, they play properly, I feel like, because he taps her on the shoulder. So he's not, like, immediately just, like, tackling her from behind or, like, kicking her in the back of the neck right. or something like that. And then he raises his hand like he's going to punch her, but then thinks better of it. Just like, oh, you, I'm so angry. He grabs her face. He grabs her face. It's a a mush. It's a mush where it's just like, fuck you. (laughs) Just like, (laughs) when he grabs someone's face, just push their face back. Just like, fuck you. (laughs) And I feel like that mush is, you know is a great comedic choice. (laughs) I think, yes, if you, you have to go back in time and you have to, you have to get in that mindset, you have to put it in that context. And then once you do, like you said, it, it is, I can understand the comical reasoning of it. You know, like it it makes Mm -hmm. sense. Like, yeah, like you said, he's, he's frustrated. He's not, it, they're playing it up comically, like like the anger is comical. It's not like rage where he's going to come back later and set the house on fire kind of thing. It's This is like, oh, they're splitting, but obviously there's still like some sort of passion there because mm-hmm. he's frustrated and supposedly that's showing us. Fr- I, like, I get that, but fuck, it's uncomfortable to see now. Jesus. <laughs> Um, and so the other thing I wanted to talk about was just feminism in the 1930s. It's just the idea of like female rights at this time. Yeah. It's so, it's so different. At this moment, but uh, now compared to that, like how far things have come, because the idea is that you know Tracy is too hard. She, you know, she's has her nose up and you know is 
has no decency or regard for human frailty, as C. Dexter Haven says. Um, and it's just like, and there's a point to what he's saying there. We're like, you have to have, you know, you have to be there for people when you know, when they fall, especially for those who you care for. Like there has to be, you know, uh, you know, if you if you care for someone and and you know if you're gonna be a good person, you got to be there for those when when they fail. You know, because right. everyone fails, right? And you got to be understanding of failure. You can't just like talk down and you know put down when someone fails, as in like a wow, God, like you know, oh, I can't believe you this you failed like that, right? Like, right. And I understand that that's how strong, like how strong willed she's been. At the same time, there's a lot of things she thinks about herself, though, that nowadays would be considered like, oh, she's a badass bitch. You know what I mean? Like, where it's just like a that I, for one, would look for in a partner with someone who's like so self assured of of herself and everything else like that. Right. Right. And, and that's considered a bad thing because she's, you know, she's, she needs to be lighter. She's too hard. She's too stern. She's too this. She's too that. And it's just like, no, I feel like she just knows her worth as, as a human being. And she's not willing to just like play into the female stereotype. She's just trying to be her. And she's trying to do what's right. And she's constantly in the right in a lot of arguments. And she's told she's wrong because she's not just falling in line. Yeah. Yeah. She's what not she... being the, the obedient, subservient wife. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I didn't like that either. I, you know? I, I totally was more attracted to her in her natural state, which we only saw, you know, when she was, drunk or um around jimmy stewart's yeah. character for the most part yeah um you know i that's you're right that's that is the person i'm more attracted to i want someone who obviously is flawed and knows their flaws but is but knows themselves and it's just you know just accepts who they are doesn't try mm-hmm. to be anyone different you know mm-hmm. no one is ever going to be 100 percent confident in who they are or you know, sure that what they're bringing to the table in any given situation is going to be enough to win that situation. But we show mm-hmm. up anyway, and we hope for the best. And you just got to stay positive and believe in yourself. But nobody's mm-hmm. gonna, nobody wants people around that are just gonna like. Well, I guess some people do want people around that don't believe in themselves, that are just gonna be trophy wives. Yeah. And and then that kind of takes you to the next point, which is why this whole issue happens. The reason that there's a journalist there and the reason that, you know, everyone's not who they are for just the whole reason this bullshit's happening is the biggest fuck boy. I don't know if he's, a bigger fuck boy than uh, 
There was Dex, something from Something Borrowed. That character's name was Dex. But yeah, I don't oh. know. If this, I don't know if this guy's a bigger fuckboy than Dex, but he's up there, and it's the father. Seth. Oh yeah, fuck that guy. He's the worst. Fuck that guy. I don't care what the social politics were in the late 1930s, early 1940s. Fuck everything he says in this film. Holy shit. And fuck his wife for just standing by and taking it. She's just like, when she basically tells Tracy, like, yeah, you're right. He shouldn't be fucking around on me. But at the same time, look at what happened when I stood up for myself. Now I got no husband. Like, why? Who wants a goddamn husband? He's going to be fucking around on you. Like, oh my God. It was just like, what kind of ass backward male writing are we fucking watching? Oh right my now? God. It's obviously written by males in the late 1930s. The way he justified it. Did you hear that? Did you pick up on yes. that? Where he's like, you know, the philandering has nothing to do with the with the woman at home. It's just like, oh my god, it's the it's individual. Just... Oh, really? Then what's the individual's problem? Well, I think it has to do with uh, what? Is, what does he you say? Know, missing, like wanting, you know, wanting to feel young. Yeah, missing your youth. Yeah. Like, are you fucking pulling out a Feridian shit on me right now? Fuck he, you. He literally was like. It's a midlife crisis. I'm going through yeah. a midlife crisis, and you should just be understanding of that shit and just let me fuck around on my midlife crisis. Just and, and just be there when I snap out of my midlife crisis. You know what I'm saying? Just let me put my dick in things and take me to the hospital when I get the clap. Yeah, and then when I get the clap and I'm like, oh, I should stop you fucking around, then you're there to hold my hand. And tell and me everything will up, be okay. And, and then up, we could be the ones fun because I'll have cleared it out of my system and I'll come running yeah. back to your arms. Yeah. That's not how shit works. You fuck. That's fuck boy. One Oh one right there. No, I didn't really care about, you know, it's like Kanye West said in a song, uh, number one, but it's, uh, he, it's a John legend song where Kanye West has a feature verse. He says, my heart don't got nothing to do with my penis. <laughs> he, and he goes, he got a mind of his own. And I don't be saying shit. I try to jack off. He's telling me, who is you playing with? And like, yeah, it basically blames it like, oh, it's just my, my penis has a mind of its own. That's why I be fucking around. But like, he, but you're his favorite. Like he says, but you're his favorite. He literally says that line. Jesus. And it's like, he says it in a joking manner but it's one of those like i'm kidding unless you accept it <laughs> like kind of oh my god like, well that that logic helps clear up some of the decision making process behind kim then yeah no shit um <laughs> just fucking just and he just he blames his philandering on tracy oh my god he's it's, like you know like, just, just fuck, fuck that guy. Just fuck that oh guy. Oh my and, god! But the only good thing that his bullshit, like ex- explanation in that film, provides is it provides Tracy the proper, like, uh, the proper uh, motivation to start drinking. Yeah, 
and then it allows for us to get drunk Catherine Hepburn and drunk uh, James Stewart, which is the highlight of the film. But so <laughs> the lesson I think a, a takeaway for here for us millennials here is that even in the 1930s, kids were dealing with shit fucking parental problems. Dad issues are never been out of style. (laughs) Parents have always fucked with us. So, Hey, no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. That's right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wise words, wise words. We don't have to go into like the, you know, scene by scene or anything else like that. Honestly, you know, I think it's pretty obvious how I'm going to, how I'm going to, rate this and you know i think you're gonna rate it pretty favorably as well so you know definitely watch this tens and tens of listeners if you have not watched this film it's just a fun yeah two it's, it's worth it, it. Really it's worth it um let's go ahead and get into let's get into the kiss of the movie yeah <laughs> what is the kiss of the movie max um I don't know. What is the relationship of the movie? <laughs> the, the kiss of the movie is James Stewart and Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> the drunken night. <laughs> like less than eight hours from when she's going to be married to another man. Who's who she not doesn't end up two, marrying. And not the two main characters of the film. Main characters of the film. Oh my god. You can tell this is written or written off of a play. Because that's just like some typical. Oh that is. Yeah. Like, this interweaves with this. Interweaves with that. But it all makes sense. Because you're in the story as it's going. And yada yada. Oh um, my god. Yeah. But yes. Um, she. She. She technically cheats on... She gets around. Uh, yeah. She cheats on the guy that she's about to get married to and her ex-husband is, at the same time. <laughs> By, anyway. Yeah. So, that's the kiss. Let's, well, let's talk about that scene first. The first scene, hilarious, because it's after... Oh, fantastic. Because Jimmy Stewart's still drunk. Um, also, she drunk drives back to the place. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but then again, once again, if we're going to accept other things for the societal politics, then we're just going to have to accept that she drunk drives the roads that she's grown up on her whole life in Philadelphia. You know what I mean? Like, it, is, it just is what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, she knows how to get home, so I guess we'll have to just accept it. Because that's what hap- happens in the film. But... Um, and then the dancing that Jimmy Stewart and Catherine Hepburn do on that little ledge, I never understand how they don't fall into the water. I don't either. I was calling it when the scene first opened up. I'm like, well, one of them's going in that pond. Right. And then it didn't happen, and I was disappointed. But then they just start ta- they're just talking shit, and it's like obviously like just drunk talk and just like two drunk people just chatting up and flirting. And then there's the part where he's in the chair and she's pushing the chair and he's like talking to her and he interrupts himself by going, we, this is fun. (laughs) (laughs) And and then they just keep chatting. 
And then all of a sudden he just gets into this like drunk poet, like hitting on her shit. Just like you're magnificent. You've got, you know, such and such in your eyes. And yeah, uh, he starts shit. getting a little heavy with that shit. Yeah. She's like, keep talking, keep talking. Like, and yeah. all this other sort of stuff because she had just been like kind of torn a new one by C Dexter Haven. And like at the pool earlier, and like, She's just had so many crises of faith the day before she's about to get married. <laughs> just like and the dad saying, hey, you need to shape up. <laughs> See next to Haven's like, hey, you need to shape up. You know, I, I may have been a drunk that needed to go to rehab a couple of times, but you kind of weren't a great like help to me at that moment. Instead of being <laughs> like, hey go to rehab you were like you fucking drunk <laughs> it's just like the, <laughs> kind of the antithesis of how you react to that situation to your husband you know <laughs> to help out so i i actually oh. have had like i've had arguments with exes like that so it's nice to see that these problems have persisted since ever yeah so, yeah that this isn't like unique how... to me or even to my generation <laughs> exactly um but yeah, so all of this just kind of feeds into this drunken, like it's now five or six a.m. and they've been drinking nineteen thirty champagne cocktails, which basically is like unregulated hooch <laughs> down the fucking gullet. And now they're dancing, and then James Stewart's just gonna start spitting on this girl, just like yo all day. You and I have been kind of vibing. So you know what? I'm just going to lay it out there because I'm drunk as shit. I think there's something brilliant about you, girl. (laughs) I think think there's something in your eyes. It's so, I don't know what it is. I just, do you feel that? Don't you feel it? Like uh, there's something here, right? Like he what's does that in every fucking role. And it's even in, it's a wonderful life. He's sitting there telling her that it like the moonbeam is, gonna come out of her fingers and her toes and all this she's like going to town romancing her and it's like okay dude like i'm loving the vibe you're putting down but reel it in a bit jesus dude like like i love your style and your and your energy but fuck good thing she's trash too because the sober people in the audience are sitting here going god damn I know, but like because she's drunk, she's just like, "Oh my god, oh my god, say some, <laughs> say more stuff, say more stuff, oh my god." And then, uh, and then of course, it just like the conversation just turns on these wild whims because they're fucking drunk and they can't keep up with their whatever they're saying. And then finally, he's just like, "Well, how about this?" Bam! Then he kisses her. <laughs> it's just. I just feel like the entire buildup, the lead up to it is great. The lead up is perfect. And then the reaction afterward is perfect. It's just, and the type of kiss they have is like typical, like 1930s. I give the kiss a solid B plus the kiss itself and the actual relationship between them keeps it from an A or a plus. Yeah. But, it's so well done for the moment where it's just like, I know those two people. I know those two drunk people making out. <laughs> like I just, right, right. those two drunk people making out. It's and like they not friends from a college party. Like, yeah. I saw freshman year makeouts on the dorm couch between people who probably would never 
Oh, totally. Who probably didn't, who didn't talk to each other afterward. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Like, that was... Uh, College house parties. Hell yes. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, it's... I mean, I know of... I I know of uh, a particular makeout between, uh, you know, the, the girl that I lived in the freshman dorms with and... Uh, a couple of my buddies <laughs> who made out with her at some point. I'm not going to name names. Uh, we can talk about it after the pod. <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about, who you're referring yeah. to. Yeah. So she was in your <laughs> freshman no. dorm. Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about it after the pod. So I gave that a B plus. That's the only kiss of the film, by the way. Well, there is <laughs> like, the the still of uh, the still, of, but it's yeah. like the lips aren't meeting, it's and it's so just so like, fucking creepy looking. Her like, eyes, her, yeah, her, her eyes like, are wide open and shit. It's so creepy. Yeah, I'm not gonna count that. So. I would, I would give it a B for the same reasons. Like it was great yeah. build up. The kiss itself was eh um, at best, but I mean that's to be expected, I guess, for that era. Um, but, you know, I'm not judging it from 1939 or 1940. I'm judging it from 2020. And mm-hmm. let's face it, my standards are fucking harsh in 2020. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. Then, yeah. And then as far as what happens after, ever after, it's very simple. You know, I, I can't speak to what happens, you know, in the 40s, 50s, 60s. I didn't live in that, you know, those those era, those uh, decades and such. Um only thing I will say about what happens after ever after is that obviously Macaulay and Elizabeth do get together and get married at some point. That's all I know. Those two like kids it. figure it I out. I like it. Know? I like it. That's all I really Those needed to know. So, um, well then, yeah, okay. So then, so then the relationship of this rom-com then is her and her ex. Like going off the formula that you mapped out to begin by saying like this was a popular trend in the genre at the time. Yeah. So Carrie Grant is the ex with Tracy Lord. Right. Uh, so that's, that's the romantic storyline here. That's supposed to be the romantic storyline. What The, the main romantic storyline. I feel like they just kind of like threw that together at the last second because I mean, it feels that way, but it's just like the, it's because once again, the main male character, C. Dexter Haven, is not written very well. Besides the one monologue he has at the pool, he doesn't have a lot to play off of as a character, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, he's not given much. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and like all the funny stuff is given to, you know, Macaulay Connor. Uh well, I just they they didn't uh, yeah they didn't spend a lot of time developing I guess like the 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 main like parts that they have are at the very end when she gives the speech about them finally getting together when he tells her you know he's got the idea he'll save her and like and then they decide to get married like other than that little part where the, she's like, Oh, Oh, you know, it'll be yar. So yar. And like all right. that like thing at the very end. And also the one little bit was the smolder after, um, <laughs> when Elizabeth and Tracy show up and, 
uh, at uh, see you next to Havens when uh, Macaulay's giving the story about, you know, all the uh, kids uh, transgressions and then the doorbell rings and, <laughs> and Macaulay yells, don't interrupt me. Oh yeah. Oh, that was so fucking funny. <laughs> so funny. But then, uh, and then uh, Elizabeth is there and like, she's there and then in the car is a passed out Tracy and, and Elizabeth's like here to collect the dead yep <laughs> and, then she, and then she also has a line where's my talking parakeet <laughs> <laughs> it's just there's so many good lines there's so and many then, good lines but, when, but then when Cary Grant goes into the car he and Catherine Hepburn share this little moment where he like kind of nestles up near her uh-huh. and they kind of share a couple words. And like that smolder uh-huh. is about all you get until they finally get back together at the end. Because Yeah. Yeah, and, you're right. That's that smolder was was really solid. Yeah, but that's but, all you get of the couple that ends up happening. Exactly. They, they give more to like uh, they give more to Macaulay and and Tracy than they do to to right. see extra hands. Which which I get because to an extent because they're trying to show us, or at least what I got from it was that they were trying to show us that she's she's slowly discovering what it means to just you know allow herself to be herself, to let her defenses down, and she's found someone to do that around, and it just mm-hmm. so happens to be in the form of. The fuck is her, his name? Her, her, her C. Dexter Haven. No, 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 no. Oh, the, Macaulay. Macaulay, yeah. What does he yeah. go by, though? Mike? Mike, yeah. Okay. Um, so, like, I get that. That, they're, like, by developing the relationship between them, they're showing us that she's she's opening up. She's learning how to open up because she's opening up around him. So she's she's finally letting herself open up and be herself and be comfortable and simultaneously learning just how good that feels to finally do. And I also like that they show us that she's not necessarily naive enough to associate the two, to associate her self-discovery with this other person and think for, you know, for because of the random coincidence that she needs to keep this person in her life in order to be herself. I'm glad they showed that, that she didn't end up with him. Mm-hmm. With that being said, like that's, that's great and all if this is a movie about self-discovery, which I think to an extent every rom-com is, of course, but they didn't give us any of the rom-com. <laughs> they gave us all this great like build up to self-discovery and like independence and what it means to be you and and especially what it means to be you prior to going into a relationship versus after being in a relationship, you know, that kind of thing with her dynamic of like what she was like when she was first married to this guy versus See? what it'll be like now that she's learned things. So I like that, but like I need the romance. I disagree with your take. Yeah? Yeah, and I partly said that because I was texting with Matt earlier, letting him know I was going to be recording and that we'd talk about some bets afterward. Um, there are, you know, talk about sports afterward, and then maybe I would make <laughs> some bets legally here in my end. Um, 
But then he also told me, hey, make sure that you tell Max that you disagree with this take one time just for me. Um, <laughs> but I also kind of disagree with that take in that right, I feel like there is romance to an effect. Like there, there's a lot of love and love is the because love is the underlying uh, motivator in all these decisions. Like C. Dexter Haven knows that kid has this story about the father of the family. So he C. Dexter Haven's ex father in law is yeah. sleeping around. And that story is about to get out about, you know, innuendo and everything else like that. And it could affect the social status of that family to which C. Dexter Haven at that moment is not a part of. And yet he comes around and create it. It agrees to go through with all of this blackmail that kid is providing to save a family that he's technically not a part of. Why? True, true. And he, he gives her the he gives her the boat that, you know, is obviously a good yeah. message, but nobody else gets it. So yeah. you're totally right. There is a lot of love present there. And that's where the romance is. It's just that the love is underlying. It's the motivator, but it's not necessarily like broadly like you don't see the falling right. in love aspect of it. And you I guess for for that's the aspect. For movies yeah. of that era I guess that's how romance was more often portrayed. So. I just feel like it's a different kind of sto- different kind of romantic story being told. Cause like, it's just, cause I mean the, the more popular common form of rom-com and love story told now is the falling in love aspect. Mm-hmm. And that became the, the popular method in, in film, you know, current, like that, that took over. Um, but at the time, there was a little more nuance because it, you know, film in and of itself was kind of an un, unconquered frontier. So you could make different kinds of films and stories, you know. So yeah, this might just be another example of Jimmy Stewart stealing the show because I mean, even when we spin it that way, I'm still sitting here thinking like, again, that's all well and good, but at the end of it. I'm still left with rooting for her to hook up with Jimmy Stewart because the connection that happened between them was stronger than anything I saw between her and Cary Grant. Yeah. But it was obvious that it was just one of those, like it it was obvious that it was just like one of those, like one night, like one like period of time. Oh, totally, totally. But I'm saying, I'm saying if the, if the main storyline is about her and Cary Grant's character, then I need a little bit more proof to be convinced of it, you know, like I need to root for it more. I say this every fucking time. I feel like there's, I there's like, I need a little bit more to root for. <laughs> so, um, so we'll, let's, uh, let's use that to segue into our, uh, verdict here. Um, so for me, I think it's pretty obvious where I stand. I marry this film. It is one of my favorite films. Uh, it's, I think, uh, a fantastic rom-com, uh, despite, you know, the, the social politics that don't age well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and going along the lines of like the main romantic love story doesn't get a lot of shine screen time wise in this film. Uh, 
I still think it's just well done. It's fantastic. It's hilarious. And it's got the best performance I've seen in a rom-com based off of all the films we've seen so far. Oh my so, God. He really just steals it. Yeah. So yeah, I would marry this film. How about you? Uh, I, I would fuck it. Uh, I can confidently say that. Um, I would have to watch it a few more times to, to bump it up, but it's a solid movie. It is very well worth the time. Uh, I mean, just the movie in itself is very well done. Great writing, great scenes. I was never not interested. It wasn't boring. It wasn't slow, which I mean, is sometimes tough to say about older movies. Um, you know, it held my interest. It was, it's a great fucking movie with great acting. Um, and and it's it's a good story too. It's all these little subplots are in there. It's, it's a lot of good stuff. Um, like I said, I I think I would just have to watch it more to really appreciate it in in different or deeper ways. The only the only thing I will say I would change, and I want your take on this. I found myself walking away from the end with another problem. That. It wasn't even necessarily about the relationship that I wanted to see more of. In fact, if anything, there was there was a small part of me that was actually most convinced about her. And like I almost didn't want to see her run off and remarry the guy. I almost wanted her to say fuck off to everyone and just end the movie being like her strongest independent self. There, I feel like there is a happy medium that she had to reach, and I like to just be just because I I hold so much else in this film in high regard that I decide to like kind of be optimistic and glass half full with it that she reaches that happy middle because mm, okay. as we talked about like as as we've talked about she knows her worth as a human being and so a lot of it is considered like oh she's being hard and you know and this and that and the other and it's just like that's not true she just knows who she is and she feels like she deserves you know to be treated like a human being as opposed to a subservient woman in this horrible patriarchy right that like and so i feel like she holds on to that but she also learns you know the human frailty aspect of it where she's not looking at someone that she married who has a drinking problem and saying you fucking drunk <laughs> like you are the i can't believe you have a drinking problem you knock your shit off like you know instead of mm. reacting like that which is kind of what's said is how she would react to such a thing um so he's and- grown too he's grown and by seeing her accept him again we see that she has grown too. Yes. Kind of like thing. I think like they kind of, w- they realize their mistakes. Like he obviously had to go to rehab and figure out his own, you know, issues uh, that I he see. had. Overcome. And she also realizes that she can't be so rigid. Well, maybe um, it was just how the ending was played out then that, that made me feel well, that way. Cause it, it did feel, didn't like, it feel kind of rushed? Like she just like, this is my third or fourth, viewing of the film and i'm like reaching that conclusion for the first time after this viewing you know what i mean it's going to take a few viewings for you to kind of get that 
Well, no, that's that's good. That's why I'm asking for for your take yeah. on these as well, because yeah, I mean, did did it did the end scene? Did you pick up on that at all? That it was it felt no, rushed. I didn't know. Okay, because I mean, at that point, yeah, I just I really wanted to just see her just kind of be her own person, but um, mm. but I also like you know I'm sitting here watching a rom com. I don't want to see that. I want to see them end up happily ever after. But there was, a, yeah, there was a small part of me that just walked away with that weird feeling. But all right. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, so you can find our socials. Uh, our show Instagram is Bromancing the Stone Podcast, the all one word together, Bromancing the Stone Podcast. Uh, and then on Twitter, where you can find my live tweets as I watch these films. Uh, our Twitter is bro the stone pod. That's B R O T H E S T O N E P O D. Um, and then on, uh, uh, on Twitter, my personal Twitter is supermarket sweep without the E in super. So S U P R market sweep. And then on, uh, on Instagram, my, uh, it's the handle is relusa 88. And that's R E L U S A eight eight. And then max, on Instagram, you can find me at the Lionhearted, which is T H E underscore L Y O N H E A R T E D. And on Twitter, same handle except with a period instead of wait, did I I flipped them around? You did that Fuck. Yep. It's T H E period L Y O N H E R H E A R T E D for Instagram. Instagram. And then for Twitter it's underscore. Yeah, T H E underscore Lionhearted. Yes, indeedy. So, Max, it's your choice this upcoming episode. Ooh, um, damn it. I didn't do my homework. Atta, kid. <laughs> um, uh, let me take yeah, a so, peek. And uh, just to let everyone know, once again, uh, Max decided to marry two weeks notice and just fuck the Philadelphia story. So do with that what you will. I stand by um, that. Totally. I don't know. Why are these still coming as surprises to you? We've established my taste in rom-coms. Let's see here. Let's see here. Ooh, I don't know. We're kind of dwindling down the list a little bit. I'm surprised at how fast we've gotten through this. Well, I mean, we're coming up to episode 50. God, that's hard to believe. Hmm. Um, you know what? You know what movie I've never actually seen, but I've always been interested in. Uh. Well, I don't know. Have you ever seen Ghosts of Girlfriends Past? No, I have not seen Ghosts of Girlfriends. Are we really? Doing- is this what? Okay, if neither of what? us have seen this, why is it on the list? Because it's technically I, I don't know. You're the one who wrote out the list first off. Um, secondly, I mean we have to do we have to do like we were going to get into a point in the podcast. I didn't necessarily think it was going to be in the first year. I didn't think so either. Real shitty random movies. And it looks like we're going that way. We're running out of ones that are like, because I'm looking at what we've got left so far, 
And I'm like, oh shit. Okay. So like the big ticket ones, I got to start spreading out. Like we just did I mean, one with just, Philadelphia store. Like I, I want you to, I want you to be prepared. Cause it's another Matthew McConaughey movie. Oh fuck. Really? Yes. Oh Jesus. Um, Jesus. You have to, you have to do research next time. I will not allow, if you haven't done research, <laughs> you will have your shirt skipped. Let's do it. Let's do ghosts. Let's do ghosts of girlfriends past. Okay, ghosts of girlfriends past. Let's give it a shot. Ghosts of girlfriends past. That's going to be next week's film. And I'm telling you right now, Max. If in two weeks you don't know what you're choosing, and I'm not going to give you a heads up. If you don't know what you're choosing, I will just go ahead and choose another film. So I'd say that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. Because this is, you didn't even know Matthew McConaughey was in this film, and you've told me off mic how much you hate Matthew McConaughey, and you're glad we're not watching him. Like I said, now I, I've never, like, I didn't even know anything about this movie. I, why is it on, like, I'm, I'm just... It was another Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Obviously, you didn't know, because you just... Anyway. So, it's so going to be an adventure. Listeners, we love y'all. <laughs> And we thank y'all for rocking with us. Oh, man. Uh, Until next week, (laughs) have a great rest of the week. Love you guys.